Hey everyone, welcome to the Lively Charleston podcast, where our goal with the show is to tell the stories of the people, places, and businesses that make Charleston the best city in the world. I'm super excited to introduce you today to, um, she is a local entrepreneur. She is building something really special. I'm really excited about to tell you. Um, she kind of did a snapshot of the area, um, really kind of had to search her heart and to figure out how she was going to introduce her business to the market and how she was going to go about it. And I think it was really cool because she got to take a snapshot of the local veterinary, uh, market here in Charleston and kind of step back if you would, and kind of look at it from a bird's eye view and decide to go with pet care professionals and it's a mobile veterinary clinic yeah yeah so it's it's been a really exciting adventure uh i kind of always wanted to have my own business and i never really knew what it would be and mm-hmm. i think as an entrepreneur you always have these ideas you know kind of coming through your mind and you kind of have to wait till the right thing inspires you and and you just go for it and it's a little scary but it's been really really fun yeah most definitely yeah. and I'm uh, I'm curious where did the veterinary interest come in? Did it happen like at a young age? Did it hit you somewhere like in your 20s or when you're in college? Tell me that story. Yeah, so it's funny. I actually don't even really remember the idea coming to my mind, but my mom tells the story that when I was very very young, I told her I wanted to be a veterinarian. I always loved animals. Um, it was kind of ironic because. My parents are not really, they have a dog, but they're not the typical animal people where I had a house full of animals. I begged and pleaded for my first pet that was a goldfish, and then it progressed from there. And uh, it was just something from a young age, and I always loved science. You know, I, yeah. I remember being really young and asking my dad, I wanted a microscope set. So it wasn't even just the animals, I loved the science behind it, and I just was always fascinated in learning more about them. And so... In probably high school was when it really took off. There was a local vet. I had horses at the time, okay. and he offered to let me shadow him, and he paid me, you know, very little, but it was I didn't care, and I actually got to do it as like an independent study program through my high school. So every afternoon I'd go with him in his truck, and we'd do ambulatory farm calls. And so in the beginning I thought, oh, I definitely want to be a horse vet. I love horses. And Was it Dr. Pohl? It was not. It was not. His name is Dr. Matchett. Um, he's on Maui. So I grew up in Hawaii. So oh, right. yeah, it was, it's a very unique place to grow up. There's actually a ton of horses and cattle there. A lot of other pets too. But that's how it started was really, you know, an ambulatory horse vet. And I loved it. And just, it, I kind of didn't care about the rest of school. I just wanted to be with him every afternoon. But, you know, realizing that if I wanted to go to vet school, I needed good grades and to go to a good college. So it started there. I got into Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in California. Mm-hmm. Did my undergraduate degree in animal science with a pre-veterinary focus and actually an equine reproduction minor uh, because I still at that time thought horses were going to be it. And it was funny because I got into vet school. I uh, went to Oklahoma State University and uh, it was there that I actually changed my mind that you know I realized I love horses. I love riding and competing. And I wanted my job and my hobbies to be 
separate. So Mm -hmm. um, I became very fascinated with, you know, the medicine that kind of comes with dogs and cats, which is a little more, um, I don't want to say complicated, but you have more resources and more research. So there's just a lot more that you can do. And uh, I really, I just loved it. And that's kind of how it all blossomed from there. And I, I, it's funny because I look back and I, all these pictures of me, I was always with a horse and I thought I would definitely be a horse vet. It's also hard as a woman to get into being a horse vet because it's a very, very physical job to be out on a farm and wrangling horses that don't always want to. It's hard enough with dogs and cats. Yeah, no, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And what I find fascinating is, I mean, okay, doctors, right? Uh, for humans, you they learn the human body. Sure. You have to learn the feline, the canine, yep. uh, horses, bovine, all the eyes. Yeah. And then you have all the exotic animals, too, right? which every single one of them has such a unique body system. They all respond to medications differently. So it is kind of fun because really in vet school, what a lot of people maybe don't know depending on the school you go to, you actually can pick a tract. So you can pick small animal, you can pick large animal, which is cattle, horses, sheep, goat, you know, all the ruminants, or you can do a mixed, you know, kind of combination. I did a combination just because I wanted to still have the horse classes because I love being around them. And I actually did some exotic animal um, rotations too. And I love there really isn't an animal I don't like. So I did snakes and we got to work on kangaroos and tortoises and turtles and rabbits. And I, I loved it all. It was really fun. And it is cool because a lot of vets, you know, they kind of stick with one little thing. And it, it's been hard for me because I always like it all. And so just kind of picking, you know, where you want to go and what you want to be really, really good at. Right. Yeah. What's the craziest? So, so you mentioned snake and kangaroo. Do you have any, like, what's the craziest animal and situation maybe? Okay. Oh, geez, that's Could a tough question. I, I have been able to work with some zoos, um, which I think is always fascinating because the animals are larger than life. So we got to sedate like a gorilla and do a cardiology exam. And it wasn't me specifically doing it. I was just there helping with the anesthesia. And, um, you know, anytime I think you get to work on um, a zoo animal is really cool. Yeah, And it's there are, you know, quite a few vets that are zoo vets. But really, if you think about how many zoos there are in the country, there aren't that many of them. It's a very competitive job. And, I can imagine. And also, just you have to be highly, highly skilled to be able to work on all those different animal species. And it's complicated, too, because you're doing a lot of, you know, conservation work at that point. And it's there is a lot to know and a lot that you don't want to mess up because these animals, you know, are depending on you. So, yeah. And you're in the public eye a lot. So, yeah. Um, but I think that's some of my most fun memories. I worked at Santa Barbara Zoo for a summer, um, helping them with the lemurs and flamingos. And I've gotten to do a lot of that stuff. So it, it was very, very fun. Very good memories. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. Lemurs, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they seem so neurotic. They are. They're a little crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of primates. I've worked on, on monkeys and a lot of other pets. I lived in Florida prior to Charleston. And so there, the exotic animal pet um, trend is very big. And so yeah. uh, I saw a lot, a lot of exotics. And it's funny because you think, oh my gosh, working on a monkey, that would be so cool. And then you realize they're very mean and you basically have to sedate them to do anything with them. And the people that own them can be a little quirky and interesting. <laughs> and uh, it's not maybe as glamorous. And they also carry a lot of diseases that 
are, you know, they're so closely related to humans. You have to be really careful that you don't get wow. infected by something from them too. So, okay. um, so but funny. it's fun, you know, all that stuff is fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but going into this dive into Florida a little bit Yeah. and, uh, it's just, I'm smiling because I can think of this post that I saw somebody was like on a dating app and they were making fun of, of Tinder or whatever in Florida these women were like, I can't tell you how many guys I'm dating who have pet snakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So. And it's like it's, it dialed in on Florida. Like It is. It is. It's so interesting. And I think part of it is every state has different laws about what pets you can own. Okay. The, the laws in Florida are very, I don't want to say loose, but there are not a lot of restrictions on the types of exotic pets you can own. So there, um, I was very involved with a lot of different people that own pet snakes, um, from 14 foot, uh, pythons that they would bring in that, you know, take up the whole hospital, Mm -hmm. um, to a lot of smaller ball pythons and different things. So, um, snakes are fun to work with, you know, a lot of, a lot of reptile medicine really comes down to husbandry, meaning, uh, how you care for them, how you're feeding them, the environment you're keeping them in, because you have to, you know, they're not in their natural environment. So providing all the right humidity and heat and UV light that they require and the nutrition that they require. Typically, all the health problems with those types of pets come down to poor husbandry, not necessarily the health of the pet, but uh, I think, you know, it's a status thing. People want to be cool, and, you know, social media drives that because... Check out my snake. Yeah, people, you know, look, I've, there's a guy I follow that has tigers, you know? It's yeah, crazy. that's pretty cool. So, uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, you got to... Well, A, you need to be very financially ready to take on something like that. Yeah. It's a long commitment to a pet like that and um, and trying to provide for them, you know, some sort of natural environment, you know, that yeah. is suitable for them to be healthy for a long time. My cousin, uh, her husband in college started, I don't know what, what you call it, but, I mean, he houses all these pythons mm-hmm. and... You know, and the biggest thing, and he was just like, I wanted to start this business. And, um, um, and he, I think the biggest thing, because it was like, he felt like it wasn't, it was low maintenance, I guess, yeah. or he felt it was low yeah. maintenance. And yeah, you just feed them mice and, you yeah. know, you keep them warm, you know, no yeah. big deal. And, but he is, he's still doing it to this day. Yeah. And he sells, I guess, these, these, Probably pi- like morphs different colors and I get, but he sells them to, um, research, I think. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I don't want to get him in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you all mention his name. No, right. you know, uh, snake breeding, I actually do know quite a bit about it, but, uh, you, they house them in these very interesting, uh, kind of enclosures that are almost like drawer systems. So mm. they're actually very well temperature controlled. The humidity is perfect. Yes. They eat once a week. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are into breeding them just like we are as humans, we are fascinated by the unique and different. So um, a lot of these breeders, especially with snakes, want to breed them to be certain colors and certain patterns that are just very eye-catching. And, and people become, you know, almost, you know, just so fascinated with it. And people want to have them as pets. People want to breed them. And the number of color combinations you can see with, especially ball pythons and some of these others is just incredible. And, right. Um, but from a veterinary standpoint, you know, they all need the help too. And it's tough for them because there's not a lot of vets out there that have, A, that aren't afraid of a snake. And most of these snakes are actually very, very docile sure. and, and sweet. And 
they're not going to, you know, bite you or, and they're not venomous. So right. Should right. specify. I do not work on venomous snakes. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. <laughs> yeah. That gives me the heebie jeebies. I've been around them and it makes me sweat. So. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. Yep. Oklahoma. Yes. Yep. Right? Yep. Oklahoma you, State. Oklahoma State. Yep. Sorry. Go Cowboys. And then <laughs> um, I believe you told me you spent, so in the time in Florida, yeah. huge practice. Huge practice. 36 yep. like vets. Exactly. Correct? Yep. So I left. So you kind of have a couple of options when you graduate from vet school. And you either go into a job or you go and get an internship. So I had decided I wasn't sure if you want to specialize, you really have to do an internship first and then apply for a specialty residency, just like human doctors. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I didn't want to eliminate that possibility because I just wasn't really sure. Mm -hmm. So I applied for internships at about 10 different hospitals, got interviews, chose Florida because I had some family there and uh, ended up at this hospital. Very, very fun experience. So it's, it's a year of very grueling hours. You're working at night. You're working. Um, I had six other intern mates. There were seven of us total. Mm -hmm. uh, we became very, very close. And, you know, we were kind of each other's sounding board. You know, it's like with any profession, you go through all this school. I'd gone to school for 11 years almost because I did wow. a couple of extra years here and there for some minors and other, you know, extra things. And, you leave vet school and you think, oh, yeah, you know, I know what I need to do. And you have no idea, you know, really, you, you do from a medical standpoint because you've learned all the information. But to be able to explain that to the customer and to the client and actually feel like you're doing a good job takes a while. And having good mentorship is so critical for any new graduate. And so I felt like I really hit the lottery. You know, I was at a hospital called Hollywood Animal Hospital. Cool. It's in Hollywood, Florida. Um, it's a huge hospital. They have every different specialty there. It's a very unique hospital because not only are they a specialty hospital, they also do general practice, which is yeah. actually really rare. Yeah. So they, um, I got to rotate through all the specialties. I got to learn a lot about surgery and, you know, become a surgeon myself to some degree. Um, I never ended up pursuing doing a residency. I actually fell in love with emergency medicine. And so they ended up hiring me to stay as an emergency and general practice doctor. Mm -hmm. I worked there for almost four years after the internship, so almost five years total. And then I just decided, you know what, this is, it's, it's tough. I was working, you know, 100-hour weeks sometimes. Um, and you start, at a certain age, it's fine. And then at a certain age, you're like, I want a real life. And, I need my life back. Yeah, and I went to all this schooling to be able to have a certain lifestyle. And so it became kind of more important to me at that point. So I worked at a couple other hospitals, kind of, some of them weren't quite fast-paced enough for me from what I was used to. Others just weren't a good fit. And... Um, and then the pandemic hit and things dramatically changed for the veterinary industry. Mm -hmm. um, I remember it was basically overnight, you know, I'm working and the next day, no clients are allowed in the hospital. Yeah. You know, we never closed because we can't. And so I was, along with all of my colleagues, you know, talk about stressful. If you can remember how scared you were when that happened to even leave your house, and not, we're all feeling like we have to go to work. You know, these animals are still going to get sick. There's animals that are sick that need us, and we can't just stay home and and wait it out. Yeah. So it was it was a really trying time mentally. So, you know, you're going with masks and face masks, and we're gowned because nobody really knew at that point, yeah. what do we need to do? I remember I had to take my dog to the hospital yeah. during that time, and it was 
I don't know, because because you come in and you're so worried about your animal and you just want to get in. And I remember trying to get in and they everybody was just like masked up and like, whoa, 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 yeah. stop right there. Yeah. You step back, we'll come get your dog. And then I was like, oh man, this is crazy. Yeah, it was it was very crazy. It's very stressful. And I think that a lot of clients kind of forgot that while they were very worried, we were scared, you know, because yeah. no one knew really what was going on at that point. We were all in the dark and, you know, we still wanted to do the best we can. So you add stress to anxiety to terror. <laughs> it was uh, interesting. Right. The first year was very difficult and um, I stuck it out, you know, that first, it actually it was about six months that I was in Florida during the pandemic and um, my sister, in the meantime, she had got offered a job in Charleston. I had been here once before. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. Florida, I love Florida, but, you know, the traffic had gotten crazy and just it was getting, it was feeling very claustrophobic okay. and populated. And I had been here once and I was like, you know what? Why not? So yeah. we uh, kind of on a whim, I decided to move to Charleston with my sister. We're very close. And um, I got a job here at an emergency hospital. So kept chugging along and doing the emergency medicine for about another six months. And at that point, I don't know if it was this, the pandemic finally like had caught up with me. And I was looking at all my friends that had had a year off of work and I was so jealous of them, but also, you know, I know it comes with other things that weren't so great too. Um, but I was like, you know, I just, I got to do something different. I, to be honest, I consider leaving veterinary medicine altogether. I, really? I, I was, the that year was just so trying and and yeah. then to add ev everyone i mean i don't really exactly remember the numbers but the percentage of pet ownership went skyrocketed during the pandemic because everyone was at home right. and they wanted companionship and so the shelters were empty you know all these dogs and cats got adopted but no one was graduating more vets are not graduating from vet school there still are not more vets graduating now than there were before and there are way way more pets than we've ever seen so the demand. That's something you don't think about. Right. Wow. And, the, and the demand on the industry, it has been straining, very, very straining, because not only is it that we can't physically see all the pets we need to in a day, we now have staff that are burning out and leaving the industry altogether. So it's it's a terrible, vicious cycle that I'm trying to change. And it was kind of how I came up with my business. And Right. I you, wanted to yeah, get to that because so, you, you came from like working all this time in right. the vet hospital I mean, all these hours per week, getting your life back. And so, yeah, so explain that to me, how yes. how you came upon this. You know, it's kind of funny. I One of my best friends, she was my roommate in vet school. She has a family, and she was kind of feeling the same way. She's like, you know, I just, and for her, she has kids. And, you know, she's like, I just don't know how I'm going to keep working like this forever. You know, it, it's so demanding. You leave work. And what a lot of clients don't, don't think about is, from the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I go to bed, all I'm thinking about is my patients and sometimes in the middle of the night too. Yeah. And when I leave work, it doesn't end. You know, most of the time when I leave the office or when I was leaving the office, I would have three to five hours of medical records to do at night because it isn't like human medicine where you have a scribe that's doing your records for you during the appointments. You know, unfortunately, it's just not really made set up that way. I know some hospitals may have that, but most 90% do not. Okay. So you get home, you're doing records, and you go to bed and you wake up and you do it all over again. So uh, during the pandemic, a lot of my friends, and including my best friend, we were talking about how, you know, 
And I think a lot of it, too, has to do with this corporate movement in mm-hmm. veterinary medicine, which has been huge. Um, we see all these big corporations buying up all the small hospitals. And while they say it doesn't change anything, of course it does. It changes everything. And yeah. it changes the way that employees are treated. It changes the way that clients are treated. It changes the way that the industry is controlled financially. You know, yeah. they and not to, you know, throw gas on a fire but you know they own the pharmacies they own the laboratories and they own the hospitals so there's there is no way to say that they aren't to some degree monopolizing the industry because they are you know they own everything and and then they own you too and so I just you know just one day I said you know what I don't want to be owned anymore and I feel like all my appointments are rushed because I get 10 or 15 minutes with a client I I used to have these great relationships with people, and as the years have gone by, it's less and less because mm-hmm. I just don't have the time. Yeah, and or and they're the holding you to standards too, right? right? They're like, oh, absolutely. 15 there's, minutes, there's, move, move, move. It's not that. It's how much money are you making every month for uh, this hospital? And uh, it's terrible to think of it that way. But at the same time, yes, they are running a business, and it has to support itself too. But to put that type of pressure on an industry of people who all got into it because we love animals. I don't think there's any vet in the world that got into it because, right. you know, they thought that they were going to get rich doing it because mm-hmm. then they picked, they chose wrong. But, uh, I have a buddy. Yeah. Who, I have a buddy who was trying to do it, but guess what? Yeah. He didn't get in. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's <laughs> he better off probably school. anyway, you know, <laughs> but so anyway, my best friend and I, her name's Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Um, <laughs> We decided, we're like, what if we, and in mobile veterinary medicine, it's nothing new. It's been around for a while. It's just a, a kind of a newer trend, I think, that because okay. of COVID has caught on. And so we together decided, she lives in Virginia, I live here. And I said, let's try to figure this out, you know, together. We've got each other. Um, so she, and, and it's interesting because we did it together. Yet, if you look at our business models, they're very different. But we're different people, and we just decide to do things a little differently. But it was great to have each other to bounce the ideas off of. And so the the idea behind the business is let's go back to kind of old school veterinary medicine where, you know, you know your doctor personally. And how it works with my business model is, you know, you can call me or schedule the appointment online. And I come to your house and we do the appointment, you know, wherever your pet is most comfortable. And a lot of times I'm examining dogs laying on the couch or on the owner's bed. Um, Cats especially thrive in that type of environment. And not all of them love it. Don't get me wrong. You know, they still they still know they still know I'm a stranger. They still smell my bag full of medications and they know. But it has dramatically changed the way that I've just seen pets respond to being treated in the house, um, their reactions to getting vaccines, half the time they don't even notice. They don't notice. Because they're, 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 comfortable. they're comfortable. There's not that, you know, anxiety. And I think what leads to the anxiety is the car ride, getting into a lobby full of barking dogs, especially for a cat or a dog that's just, you know, a little timid. Right. Now you're waiting 20 minutes. Then you get put in the exam room. You wait another 20 minutes in the exam room for a nurse to come in. They ask you all the questions. Then you think you're done. Then the doctor comes in. They ask you all the questions again because there is something to be said about the second time you get asked the questions, more information comes out. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that I looked at and I was like, this is such an inefficient, inefficient, you know, kind of way. Although it is efficient to, in a sense of seeing a lot of animals in a day, but not efficient right. from a standpoint of an owner. And I think what happens too is I'm the same way. You get to the doctor's office, you got 10 questions in your head that you know you need to ask him. 
And by the time you leave, you haven't asked any of them because you just get flustered and things. You get come caught up in the in the system and right. processes exactly. that they are pushing on right. you. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. so my my business model is very simple. It it is what I kind of call concierge medicine. So these people become you know my personal friends really and clients, and mm-hmm. they have my cell phone number. Um, I'm available all day every day to them to send me a text or a phone call or an email. Um, I try to really, it has allowed me, and it is a little more taxing maybe to, for some reasons, but not for others. You know, I want all these pets to be treated like they were my own pets. And so, you know, medication recommendations, I just can tell my medicine that I'm practicing is so much better yeah. because I have the time and the energy and the emotional connection to these pets mm-hmm. that just had, I had lost. And honestly, like I said, I had kind of stopped. I, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And now I am. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I think it's really fun. The clients that have given it a chance, I know would never, ever go back to having it any other way. Yeah. The other thing is so many things kind of back to like the reptile thing is, you know, behavior is all about where the animal lives and their environment. And so being able to see the animals in the environment, I can help clients with a lot of things that I think in the clinic I wouldn't really understand. Um, But, you know, maybe is it arthritis or are they anxious because they don't want to go up and down the stairs? And there's a lot of things that you just pick up on that you would never, ever know in the clinic setting. And I love that because I think it's the best thing for the pets by far. Definitely. Um, Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I I totally get that. Um, Reminds me, I don't know, there's this old, I'm going to age me but doc hollywood <laughs> yeah, did you ever yeah, think where, where he was like the hollywood like yeah. surgeon and he moves to the small town yeah and, absolutely and but he and he ended and he fought it and he fought it yeah. and, and but he ended up loving it so much because he got to connect right yeah. it was all ended up being it is it's all we've lost so much human connection i think over the past couple of years it's fun to get it back um uh, all my clients have become my friends, you know, and, you know, maybe not every single one, but I, I'm, I feel very close to them. I know their pets really well. Um, I feel like as a whole, it's like this kind of whole wellness. I can help them with finding a good pet sitter. Now I'm thinking about maybe starting my own grooming business so that that's tied in and dog training has been, and that's why the name Pet Care Professionals came about. It's, I wanted it to be like a whole health kind mm-hmm. of situation for pets. So a one-stop shop where you can get vet care, grooming, training, dog walking, all those things, which eventually is on the forefront of the business. Yeah. Um, the vet part is obviously for me. So I that was where we started. And um, I hope that we can continue to expand. I would like to hire another vet or two in the area because it is a very big area to cover. But I do, mm-hmm. I travel from Olinda to Wadmala Island to Somerville. So I, I drive all over the place and yeah. um, I'm in my little van. I see that see little van. You can wave. Um, but it's been really fun. And I have an assistant that comes with me a couple of days a week. So that's been really great to have her. Um, and I don't just do, you know, well health care. I also do hospice visits, mm-hmm. um, end of life care, which it's, it is very sad to talk about, but to be able to have a pet be at home during those, you know, last moments or, you know, as they get older, it is, I get emotional thinking about it because I think I never, I do. Cause I, I had to do that yeah, recently, you know, and I, I don't think I was in this emergency situation where like euthanasia was just part of my day. And now I just think, gosh, you know, what a disservice to those poor animals who give us 
unconditional love their whole life and their last memory is somewhere where they're scared and where they hated going, you know? And so I hope really that that becomes something that's more commonplace because I think once you've experienced seeing it, as sad as it is, the the response of the animals and the owners is just completely different. It's yeah. it's completely different, and um, it just makes me really happy to be able to provide that kind of service. You know, to to oh, like that what warms I think, my heart, Kate. <laughs> and I think this is one of the greatest places to live. I I don't think I'll ever leave. I I really love it here. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, for those of you who don't know, uh, she's also you are kind of a rodeo. Rider. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. the proper term. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, Lay I, it on me. Yeah, no, I have raining horses. So yes. I show in the raining. So, and that's, this business has allowed me, you know, to have a life again. And I think it makes me a better vet if I can have hobbies and have work. Yeah. And I tell my clients that too, you know, I am going to go on vacation every once in a while. I have to. Yeah. And that there is so, you know, I'm still available to them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it works out really well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, pet care professionals, Dr. Kate cap look for her look for the van riding around where is how how can people best find you so they can best find us um we've got an instagram page facebook page uh hopefully a podcast uh dedicated uh, it's going to be called you can vet on it coming soon so Love that name. yeah we're gonna work on that to kind of do some q a stuff with clients um but and then our phone number um we are available Basically, I'm, I answer the phone between 8 and 6 every day. So uh, the number is 843-925-1326. Uh, we've got our website. Um, I'm sure you guys can post a link to it. Yep, sure um, will. And, yeah, we would love it. We, we post a lot of fun pictures on the Instagram and the Facebook. It's it's pretty just fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I can tell it's fun. Look at her shirt. Yeah, yeah. You got the bulldogs. <laughs> you got the bulldogs on the shirt. Well, anyway, yeah. thank you so much for being here. This has been a total blast. Yeah. Everybody, you got to check this out. Uh, you got to give her a call, especially if you just love your dogs or your pets or whatever so much and just in the home yeah i think that's such an awesome idea yeah we'll shower them in treats and love and uh i think if once you do it once you'll see the difference it, it really it's huge yeah. amazing yeah. thank you so much oh you're welcome thank you for having me absolutely